This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Ladies and gentlemen, gentlemen, gentlemen. Hey everybody, this is Richard Deitch and welcome to the Sports Media Podcast. My producers are Patrick Antonetti and Sean Cherry. Guests this week, um, as we continue to uh, do this podcast um, <laughs> from self-quarantine in Toronto. First off is the Boston Globe sports media writer, Chad Finn. He has been on this podcast many times. And we discuss uh, our thoughts about the NFL draft and whether what we saw can be incorporated in future drafts, which uh, would be, I think, phenomenal given how engaging this draft was, but a certainly something that Chad and I are not sure the NFL will do given all the revenue that comes from taking the draft to um, to another city or to different cities and um, you know the celebration that they can get from people who are into the draft you know half million people and Las Vegas pomp and circumstance etc so Chad and I discussed that we discussed uh, John Oran's piece of um, the season starting later and the Super Bowl starting much later the coverage of Tom Brady and Rob Gronkowski in both Tampa and New England and the national interest now in the Tampa Bay Bucks because of those guys. And then some just COVID-19 stuff on the sports media. Chad is followed by Adam and Craig Malamut, who are the creators of the fantastic BR animated series Game of Zones. That uh, series has its four-part finale coming up uh, beginning on April 30th. And uh, those guys are just immensely talented. If you are an NBA fan, you've probably watched Game of Zones, uh, which is uh, sort of a medieval takeoff on Game of Thrones. Just phenomenal stuff. Think of uh, LeBron James as as Jon Snow. And uh, we get into just basically uh, why this became so popular, how the shows get created. It's just the amount of work that the Malamut brothers do to put this uh, this really just entertaining and, and fantastically smart animated series up. So Chad Finn first, followed by Adam and Craig Malamut on the Sports Media Podcast. All right, Chad Finn has uh, been a guest on this podcast many times. He is the sports media writer for the Boston Globe, but also covers uh, a number of New England sports as well when they let him sort of go out there and become a columnist. And Chad Finn is back on the Sports Media Podcast. Chad, how are you? I'm good, my New York Canadian friend. How are, how are you doing? I'm good, yeah. Oran could not, uh, he's probably doing another podcast this week, Chad, so I had to bring you on, basically. As America's podcast guest, John Oran, is uh, is doing something else. So we, we bring in... I, sometimes I get accused of that, but uh, he, he does like five times as many as he I does. do. So. I know. Yeah, and, uh, he's A-list for sure. Yeah, he's yeah, it's, <laughs> it's A-list. We're all A-list. We're all G-list. Um, so I want to, um, you know, speaking of the reason I brought up John is because we're going to be talking about a story that he did this week that uh, is certainly very germane and interesting to us. But let me first start with the NFL draft, uh, Chad. Um, I wrote a piece for um, The Athletic on Monday, which... Um, you know, sort of offered my thoughts on the draft. I talked to a lot of people behind the scenes at ESPN. You know, for the technical challenges, Chad, that um, they had heading into this, and I think for expectations of um, a broadcast that might have been, you know, that might have just been stilted or a broadcast that just might not have been what we're used to because of the fact that everybody had remotes at home, I mean, I don't think it could have gone off better. Yeah, there were some things that were uh, that could have been improved, et cetera, et cetera. But man, um, one, I think it was a great broadcast, and two, I think more importantly, I think they discovered something that's workable for the future, and that's going to be interesting. Can they incorporate some of this stuff into what's generally been a you know a mega uh, event, you know, sort of a larger than life event? How did you um, how did you see what you watched? How did you process the NFL draft over the last couple of days? Yeah, I think there's some irony there. I think uh, I guess it's irony, maybe coincidence, but 
this was going to be the grandest of all drafts. You know, they were going to have the prospects come over in what gondolas of boats uh, across the, I don't know, a fountain or moat or something in Las Vegas to, to meet Goodell. And it was uh, going to be over the top, even by NFL draft standards. And instead they get um, something that uh, feels really, felt really authentic and uh, real and relatable to people who are sitting at home with their family members watching this because uh, it was a constant reminder that whether you're a sports writer sitting at home trying to figure out uh, how this is going to come across or a football fan or someone who's about to be have their dream realized and become an NFL player, you're, you're all in the, the same situation there, just sitting there waiting and watching and, and enjoying uh, this broadcast. And I, I have have the utmost respect for the way ESPN pulled it off. Seth Markman, I thought it was really telling that Fred Gadelli uh, tweeted out uh, his uh, experiences in the uh, producing the draft. I think he did it 13 to 14 times before he became the, the guy running the operation. It's uh, you know Sunday Night Football and the, the number one television show in America and all of that. Uh, he kind of uh, pointed out on Twitter how difficult this was and how much respect that people should have for uh, what Markman and ESPN pulled off, and I, I think that's absolutely, uh, absolutely true. They did a great job with it. Uh, I, the complaints are all minor. There's some lag time. I, I think with Lewis Riddick's camera in particular, um, you touched on that today in your piece. Uh, some of the over-the-top stuff with um, backstories of the players, it, it, it started getting to be a little much to the almost to the point of it felt like a Key and Peele or Saturday Night Live parody one. Um, the poor guy, I think it was uh, uh, Gross Matos, the, the kid from Penn State picked by uh, Carolina. They talked about his father drowning, saving him, and then his brother getting hit by lightning and killed during a um, during a Little League game. They didn't really tell us who he was as a player before they're telling us this, uh, this horrible backstory. And uh, I know they wanted human interest, but I don't think they quite realized how how the draft itself this year was human interest. So overall, I give him a give him a solid A. That's yeah. That's there's a lot there, Chad. That's a very good description of sort of the whole idea that this draft was probably the most accessible draft to people than we've ever had because it's all relatable because you're in your home as well. I, th- I saw something that I, you may have sent out on Twitter, uh, or no, it was Twitter. Yeah, it wasn't a piece that you did. And it was the idea of, um, you know, maybe the, the NFL should not go back to the drafts of the past. And I would agree with that a hundred percent. The problem, of course, and we both know this. There's a lot of money and revenue to be had when you travel to one of these cities like Nashville or Las Vegas or Philadelphia to get um, to, you know, you get 500,000 people part of an NFL experience. It's a massive marketing tool. Uh, The networks love being on site because it's branding for them. So do you see any way where they can incorporate what we just saw uh, in this 2020 NFL draft while still while the reality still being that there's going to have to be some part of the NFL that's in one of these cities. You know what? I, I know they've talked about implementing some of this and that there was some sort of lesson learned here about what's appealing about the broadcast and the draft and what isn't. I don't think they end up implementing any of it, though, Richard. It, it, the, 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 the stuff that was most likable about this was uh, Brian Flores, the Dolphins coach, having his kids around and high-fiving his kids after they picked Tua or uh, you know, seeing, the, seeing Cliff Kingsbury's well, – whatever planet is uh, his house is on uh, uh, kind of, you know, Belichick and his, uh, you know, kind of pretty basic setup in, uh, in Nantucket. It's uh, it, the, the peaks inside these people's lives. We're not going to be able to get that. They're, they're all going to be back in their uh, war rooms at Gillette stadium headquarters whenever, uh, whenever we're allowed to do that and it's safe to do that again. So I don't think we'll, they can work that aspect in at all unless, you know, they tell Brian Flores, bring your kids to the headquarters next year. We want to put them on TV or something like that. So I think that element's gone. And the other part that, uh, you know, you mentioned, it's a huge television show. It's a huge production. It's a, it's a major moneymaker for ESPN and, and for the NFL. And they're expecting 750,000 people in Las Vegas for, for this draft. And uh, that's money they're not going to get back. And that's money they're going to want in the future, whether they're in uh, you know, Las Vegas in 2022 or Tampa Bay, or if it ever came to Boston or whatever, uh, they're, they're going to try to maximize their profits on that. So they're not going to lose that element of it either. So I really don't see as great as this was, what they're going to take from it to add to the draft in the future. Cause there's just too much money to be made by the way they used to do it. 
Yeah, that's my fear as well. I, I really like this broadcast, and I think it's interesting. I think it's compelling and watchable, but I'm with you. I, do, I don't know how they're going to give up the, you know, sort of the the real revenue and real marketing tool that the draft is when it goes to these cities. But um, we'll probably both of us will probably be writing about that as they head forward. I know the behind-the-scenes people – uh, the NFL Network and ESPN w- love this draft and would love to have parts of it repeated. You know, you just wonder, you just wonder if that is repeatable. Um, another NFL story, and this from uh, the aforementioned John Orand, uh, that I uh, read over the last couple of days that was really interesting are these contingency plans by the NFL um, to push the schedule back in the event that municipalities will not open up because of COVID-19 or will not allow, you know, stadiums to be used in certain, uh, certain cities, which is certainly a possibility given the hotspots that exist around the country and in, in some NFL markets. And so John O'Rand and uh, make sure I have this right. And Ben Fisher reported that the NFL was looking at a Super Bowl that kicks off on February 28th, potentially a regular season that could start as late as October 15th, no bye weeks, no pro bowl. I want to ask you, Chad, when you saw that, um, what you think of that in terms of sort of a media play? Uh, I think the, obviously the network's going to have to figure out what to do until October, but, um, you know, it'd be interesting. How, how does a CBS or a Fox or an ESPN, uh, are, would they be happy with no buys? I don't think ESPN would be happy with no pro bowl with the Super Bowl broadcaster. Can a February 28th date work as opposed to a first week in February? How do you, how do you see all this stuff? I think it's all pretty fundamental and obvious changes right now. If you could go through that list of uh, things that they're considering doing and, and what would, what's really a, a it, it's the first proposal. I think we all realize it's probably going to be even more than this. And that's uh, um, depending on how long the pandemic lasts and when it's safe to, to go back to arenas and when fans are comfortable doing that in, in huge groups again, it, it's probably going to be, well past February before things things feel completely normal like they they did you know three months ago. So um, I, I've got some skepticism about this, Rich. That uh, it, it's going to be as simple as, as they set it up right now. But if you get on that list of uh, you know things they're possibly talking about, you know October fifteenth start date and, and moving the Super Bowl back to um, February twenty eighth, three weeks back, and and. Uh, uh, you know, eliminating the Pro Bowl, which, you know, everybody but television executives probably fine with it. It's pretty good ratings, but it's not exactly something you, you look forward to as a sports fan or anticipate. All this stuff is fine, and it makes sense. It just it, it feels like the first snowball, uh, you know, going down the mountain in an avalanche, that it, 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 there's going to be a lot more to it than this. And I think NFL is probably going to be as resistant to any league, as uh, more than any league in terms of cutting games from the schedule. I don't think they would want to go to a 12-game schedule or, uh, you know, you look back 1982 when those ends of strike, they only played nine games. If it ended up being like a half a season or something like that, they're going to be very resistant to any changes to the length of the NFL schedule. So I feel like this is just sort of the tip of the uh, tip of the iceberg, to, to use a cliche, and that uh, uh, it's all very reasonable, but it's, it's probably not going to look anything like this once, it, once it's set. Chad, how do you think um, the audience will process – the potential of NFL games with no crowds. I don't know. Is that going to be the first first time we see games without crowds? I mean, Major League Baseball is really, uh, you know, it's really pushing to 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 have some sort of setup in Arizona. It almost feels desperate with them at this point. Um, and I wonder if we see Major League games before uh, before the NFL season comes back. Uh, I, I'm very skeptical of that as well. But uh, Rob Manfred and and uh, uh, is certainly pushing forward with this, and the owners are going to push forward with this. So I think we see baseball. There's a chance we see baseball games with no fans before we see the NFL with no fans. And uh, uh, I don't think it would take that long to get used to. It. I think it would be really, really weird at the beginning, um, and uh, probably even a little bit eerie. But uh, after after a couple of weeks of watching it, it would just sort of become the norm and 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 something we would adjust to. Sort of like you know how we're, we've adjusted to. Being home for the last six weeks. Yeah, I, mean, I, I, I tend to agree with you, but I think initially, I think it'll be a little odd for, uh, and I should have said, as opposed to audience, just like a television audience, uh, 
uh, watching that. But I think people will be so happy about, um, you know, sort of getting uh, live sports back that um, they'll adjust to it. It certainly would be, um, it'll certainly be a big adjustment for the players regarding the sport. And I am with you, obviously, just given the calendar, uh, there's a there's a chance that this starts with, uh, starts with baseball before the NFL. But again, you know, we're dealing with different municipalities, different shelter at home uh, restrictions, different uh, philosophies with governors as to when states are going to reopen. So um, there's so many moving uh, parts of this. But that's one that would be interesting to me just because it's obviously the biggest sport in the land is if the NFL had to play games with no crowds, sort of the challenges for television and um, and sort of how the audience would process that. So that's that's one to um, that's sort of one to pay attention to. Um, I did want to ask you, given um, where you are, uh, Tom Brady and Rob Gronkowski have gone to Tampa Bay. It now makes Tampa Bay, Chad, um, one of the, I would say, top three most um, desired teams for NFL media outlets to put their games on. The Cowboys are always going to be first, but then, you know, I feel like the Bucks are in that same conversation with the Packers and uh, the Steelers and, the, you know, the rest of the teams that all these networks, um, all these networks want. Um, what's your, what's your sense of how, of the interest in Tampa Bay this year nationally, beyond Tampa and beyond Boston? Enormous. I mean, you know, obviously my view is uh, a little bit skewed because it's all we write and talk about up here right now, but, uh, it, it's, it's going to be huge. I mean, Tom Brady, uh, people there was a perception, and I, I know at the Athletic, you guys dealt with it too, and everybody at every newspaper and sports radio show and every sports media outlet in the country. When when this began, the question was, what are you going to write about? What are you going to cover in in sports? And uh, we had one of the biggest sports stories in the last twenty five years here in Boston, if not more than that, with Tom Brady leaving after twenty years. You know that. Uh, it, it's an enormous story, and it's one that uh, obviously is, is hyper-focused here because of what he did as a Patriots quarterback, but it's also an extremely uh, relevant national story as well, and I think we're going to see that uh, in the NFL schedule and uh, how relevant Tampa Bay all of a sudden becomes. I mean, they've been an okay team the last couple of years, and you know, Jameis Winston was an interesting player, number one overall pick. Mike Evans is a great player, and Bruce Arians was a great character, but they, they didn't register at all. They, w- they were not relevant. Uh, they probably haven't been since John Gruden was their coach, and uh, now that that's going to change by about uh, not 180 degrees, but probably about 150. And, and Brady did that, and Gronkowski joining him just uh, – uh, changes it even a little bit more, ratchets it up a little bit more. Locally, we've been trying to find out uh, whether Fox is going to show their games every week up here because for years and years and years, the NFC team that got primary uh, you know, primary attention in, in New England was the Giants because before the Patriots launched in 1960, the Giants were New England's team. It was the closest thing you had to a, a local team. It feels weird to say that about a New York team, but uh, there's still a lot of old-timer Giants fans here. Uh, and now uh, you have to figure that the, the, the appeal by far is going to be Tampa Bay in this market. So I haven't gotten any answers from Fox about that, about how they're going to approach it locally. But uh, I imagine we're going to see them a lot more here in Boston and, and nationally as well. Chad, this is a Boston-based uh, question, but do, will, will the um... – Will, will the coverage of the Patriots uh, subside at all without Tom Brady or Rob Gronkowski, or would the would the media contingency still be the same? And probably, I mean, I guess my natural sort of thought would be that it certainly stays the same this year because they're uh, they become a very very interesting team with this massive transition post Brady. I think a big part of it is how they fare, how well they do it. Assuming there's a relatively normal NFL schedule, uh, you know, if they're uh, five and eleven Patriots, uh, the interest is going to wane enormously. I mean, the Patriots traffic blows away Red Sox traffic, Celtics traffic, Bruins traffic. It it is uh, Boston was always a baseball town. It, it became a football town at some point during this dynasty, and it stayed there. And uh, there's there's obviously going to be some changes. You hear from fans now who sort of have lost perspective that. Uh, it, want to credit Brady more for than Belichick for the success and, and think the, that the Patriots have done. And I actually wrote about that today, sort of citing all the 
things Bill Belichick did that had nothing to do with Tom Brady that helped build this dynasty. But I think that some people have already sort of forgotten about that. You you look at uh, look at the history here. This thing started in 2001 when they beat the Rams in that first Super Bowl, and uh, entire generation of Patriots fans. If you were eight years old then. Uh, you're 27 now, and you don't know anything other than Tom Brady and Bill Belichick winning and winning and winning. Your idea of a slump is that stretch from 2005 to 2013 where they were great but didn't win a Super Bowl. Uh, so some people are going to get a little bit of a, a dose of reality here, and I think it will start to affect the traffic and the attention they get uh, if if the team struggles. But I'm one of those people who think that uh, Bill Belichick's actually being a little bit underestimated right now. He knows things that Patriots fans and football fans don't know about the roster that he has. I think they're going to be pretty good and still remain uh, compelling as long as he's here. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. One of the uh, one of the things, Chad, I got into a little bit with John Oran last week was um, the, the long-term impact of the coronavirus on the sports media. And I think one of the things that seems very, very clear is that there's going to be a lot of jobs that are lost during this that won't come back. It's the same for so many other industries that have uh, hit the United States. And perhaps it's just a consolidation in um, in some sports media entities and maybe like at a place like ESPN or Fox, less remote broadcasts where they... Um, they continue to call more games from their headquarters as opposed to sending production trucks, broadcast trucks out to uh, live events. Just off the top of your head, Chad, sort of free-forming a little bit, um, how do you think this impacts our world six months, 12 months from now? Wow, yeah. I mean, I want to know what the world looks like six months from now because that's still the— uh... You know, that's the mystery. And uh, six months from now is also the election down here in the United States. So that's, uh, that may change a few things or uh, keep some things the same as well. So it's just, uh, I, I can't remember a time in my life where so much was up in the air um, about our future. And uh, it, how that impacts sports is um, obviously pretty far down the list of, uh, list of relevant things. But those of us in the toy department, uh, you know, also recognize that uh, this is going to have some long-term impact. I think we've seen a lot of some places uh, use it as an excuse, what's going on uh, as an excuse to sort of pare things down when they were already doing that. The Boston Herald got it at staff up here, at sports staff and some other reporters, but that was sort of the, uh, the way they had been going anyway. And uh, there are other places that are trying to do the right thing, but uh the advertising revenue just isn't there right now because every business is shut down and um, more or less every business is shut down. And, and, and so uh, they're scrambling to, to keep their staffs uh, supported while, while the money isn't coming in the door. So it's just such a, such a tenuous time and such a scary time and so uncertain that uh, I think you have to judge it. So almost by an individual basis of looking at the way, you know, the New York Times has handled its sports sp- uh, staff compared to the way ESPN has, has done things and taken pay cuts with executives and its top 100 uh, highest paid people. Um, everybody's sort of approaching it differently, and I, I'm skeptical to cynical about the way some of them are doing it because they're they're trying to, uh, you know, they're doing sort of dastardly things that they've already done before. But uh, I feel pretty fortunate myself. I mean, the, the, the Globe here has had a full sports section every day, and uh you know, smaller, smaller paper, but uh, we haven't had a hard time, hard time filling the sports stuff with a lot going on. And the response we've heard from people is overwhelmingly positive. It's uh, thank you for giving us a distraction rather than why are you writing about sports in a time like this? I think people are, we saw this with the NFL draft. People are happy to, uh, happy to have that uh, little bit of sports in their lives right now. Yeah, that, you know, that's. I'm glad you said that, and that we can end on this. That's really interesting to me because obviously the athletic obviously is not uh, <laughs> morphed from sports to something else. It's a it's a different publication. It's a it is a sports 
uh, specific publication, but you know we're producing as uh, as much content as we ever had before. We're getting very sort of creative in terms of how to um, how to tell stories when there are no live games going on. And I actually think the site's been phenomenal. I mean, it's just you've seen stories that uh, you, you, we probably just didn't have the time to to do. But that's interesting, and I appreciate what the Boston Globe is doing. And that's not to knock the New York Times or the Washington Post or any other place, but um, you know. I think to me, I would have used the creative, the creativity and the brain power and the passion of my staffers to do interesting sports related stories that they never had done before. And many of those stories can certainly can certainly relate to COVID-19. But they, you know, they made a decision and I understand it. There's, there's, they want to put their resources elsewhere, but I'm with you. I'm glad the Globe did that. And that, if I was an editor, that would have been my, I think, thought was to let's, let's do some work that maybe nobody um, would have expected us to do, including stories on the nexus of sports and COVID nineteen. Yeah, it's interesting with us because the first week we we, you know, we we had I think we had it might have been a Zoom meeting or we talked with our editor Matt Pepin, sports editor Matt Pepin, and the editor Brian McGorry is super supportive of the sports department and. Uh, sort of built that backlog of stories that uh, are lists or uh, historic things or things you can run evergreen at any time uh, just to make sure we had stuff. I think the first week I wrote a Sunday takeout on the five best games uh, in the history of the four major sports teams here. Just some, it, It's a space filler, more or less. People read it, but it's a space filler. And it's turned out we really haven't needed a lot of that. I mean, we had, we had uh, you know, with Brady leaving, which is a content gold mine. We had Grant coming out of retirement recently and leaving, which is uh, probably the second most popular Patriots at player of this uh, stretch. And, and he, he's closer to Brady, Brady than most people would think, just because he's such a gregarious personality. We had Chris Sale having Tommy John surgery uh, at a point when people weren't supposed to be going to the hospital. Uh, Marcus Smart had uh, COVID. Was I think he was the last player actually to acknowledge publicly that he had it. And uh, we had the Bruins not wanting to pay anybody. So there, there are stories directly related to the outbreak, and there have also been stories that are just sports stories and major sports stories. And we really haven't in these six weeks lacked for um, anything. We've run a lot of those type of stories. And I wrote about being an old pickup basketball player, which is something I never would have written during any of this. But uh, the feedback and the response on this sort of thing is um, it's really good. And I know the athletic does it's done a lot of those same type of stories as well. And I think, you know, the historic stuff or the personal stuff, people really are enjoying that. But the, the, the interesting twist is it hasn't, hasn't been that necessary because they're really without sports. There's still been a lot of sports to write about. Yeah, and again, uh, certainly in your your neck of the woods, um, you know, the Patriots are the gift that keeps on giving because they have been a gift that is that is sort of given to North America. You know, we uh, at my other job for Sportsnet, <laughs> I mean, Tom, Tom Brady basically gave us two weeks of content, so we we appreciated that. Oh, it's unreal. We appreciate that very much. Chad Finn is the Boston Globe sports media writer. You can also follow his um, non sports media work at uh, the Boston Globe's website as well as uh but you're in boston.com as well Chad are you not Yeah both we run uh we run our globe stories on boston.com uh, as well so uh all over the place Um anything else you want to promote or plug I feel like Letterman here before I let you go Man I'm just taking it day by day I don't know about you but uh no nothing uh, nothing specific coming up I've got a I've got a piece I'll have a piece uh, on the last dance uh talked to jason here but everybody's been reading about that uh, uh he's a boston guy so we'll be doing that and uh have a zoom call with this president of celtics today so he must be super bored so just uh day by day jackie mcmullen wrote a pretty good story in the boston celtics uh chat uh like uh chat between the 2018 that sort of you know lasted 12 years with garnett and doc rivers and paul pierce it's a good, interesting little story yeah, those guys, I mean, they were the ultimate. That 2018 was the, the ultimate. Uh, we can beat on each other, but you better not dare uh, give us any ultimate big brother, little brother thing. And uh, it's interesting to see Ray Allen sort of be shunned from that group because he left. A, uh, it, it, that was a uh, really compelling basketball team. 
Yeah, interesting. I agree, even if you didn't, weren't in Boston. All right, Chad, always great to catch up with you, man. And uh, and I'm sure we will talk soon. Uh, be safe to you and yours. And uh, thanks for joining me, as always, on the Sports Media Podcast. Thanks, man. Good talk to you. And uh, I, ho- I hope uh, all continues to go well. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. Adam and Craig Malamut are the creators of the fantastic BR franchise, Game of Zones. The final season drops April 30th in what they are billing as an epic four-part finale. Now, for those of you who don't know Game of Zones, my sense is that if you're listening to this podcast, most of you do. But for those of you who don't know Game of Zones, uh, it's an animated video series that imagines what real-life NBA drama would be if you sort of placed it in a medieval Game of Thrones-inspired universe. Uh, I think of LeBron James as Jon Snow. It might be one of the easier ways for you to wrap your head around that. And Adam and Craig join me on the Sports Media Podcast. Um, guys, thank you very much for coming on today. Sure. Thanks for having us. Oh, our pleasure. Adam, uh, let me start with you. For uh, I'm not going to go into sort of how this uh, series started. You, you guys have told that story before, and it's been on a million podcasts. So I really want to try to do as much currency as possible, because I think the people who are really into this series will want that. So what? let's start with you, Adam. What can people expect from, um, from this four-part finale how uh, just in terms of uh you know storyline is it like does it uh contain like the middle of the nba season until um the stoppage with COVID 19 do you sort of fantasy it and pretend what would happen can you give us a little sense of what people can expect yeah sure so um one thing is that uh, always expect the unexpected when game, with Game of Zones. So, uh, so that's one thing is that we're always trying to do uh, new things and keep things interesting. I think one of the reasons that we're finally wrapping up after seven seasons is like we've explored every medieval basketball joke we can possibly explore. And what we thought was interesting for this last season was to finally do what we haven't done, which is a storyline that kind of threads throughout the episodes. Um, and that, that may split our fans a little bit, but you know, it's kind of like come full circle from being like just a one-off viral video with a bunch of little vignettes that just mashed up Game of Thrones to like a, an actual original storyline that still has aspects of Game of Thrones. But, uh, but this is, this is the first time we've ever tried to do like a continuous serialized plot, even though it's only four episodes, that's surprisingly difficult when your entire universe doesn't make sense. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> what about you, Craig? How do you sort of see it? Yeah, I I would add, you know, we, in the past we've parodied single episodes of Game of Thrones, and this time we're sort of taking elements from a whole season of Game of Thrones. Um, and one of the interesting things was that we wrote the whole season before the whole coronavirus thing went down. Um so it'll be interesting for fans. A lot of them will assume we wrote it after coronavirus um, started getting everyone, you know, sheltering in place. But um, we wrote it before, and it it actually I think holds up pretty well. Um, we we were we had to rush to um, you know work from home, and uh, luckily our uh, animation supervising producer Chris Wallinger was able to set up a giant virtual animation studio so all of our team is working remotely um but we wouldn't really have been able to record anything new from our apartments or at least i wouldn't have because i don't have a great audio setup here um and so you know we had to uh improvise in a way and uh, i think we managed to dodge a lot of uh, news bullets um so i'm looking forward to seeing how people react and we're on schedule. We com- stayed completely on schedule, so that was pretty impressive. Nice, Craig. I'll stay with you. How um, how did you determine that it, the the last season would be four parts as opposed to twelve parts, one part, you know, sixteen parts? Um, I think that um, 
one thing was we wanted well I can so, so Game of Thrones went from like these longer seasons and then like the last season I think it was like six episodes or something like that um so you know we, we kind of mimic them in every dimension it seems um I think that uh the four parts was I, I, fans they they are always asking for longer episodes um and so we kind of just I think wanted to change it up and see uh what it would look like to give fans beefier episodes rather than a lot of small episodes um, so they can sit and really sink into the storyline a little bit more rather than chopping it up. Um, and, you know, as Adam was saying earlier, earlier, we like to change it up a lot. So um, I don't know if, Adam, you have anything to... Yeah, Adam, did you have anything other? I would just add that also eight episodes, a lot of work for us. Like, we obsess on these things. And even though they're silly little cartoons, I think what gets them to the quality that people watch them and go... That was better than it should have been. Like, that was better than I expected it to be, that stupid little cartoon, um, is because we, like, obsess on these things, and it takes a lot out of us. And doing eight episodes every season, even though only five minutes, was just a lot of work for us. And so we just we wanted to lessen it a little bit and be able to do it right rather than being, like, scrambling and and, jam and packing. It was just a, it was a lot on the pipeline. And this allowed us to do four episodes well and longer and really craft something special as opposed to we felt overloading us a little bit to do another eight episodes. So, Adam, let's stick on that obsession. One of the things that I think is really just unbelievable about this is the amount of detail and research that you guys put into this is, uh, is clear. Not only do, I think, are you aware of NBA storylines, story like real-life NBA storylines, you, you will go so far as to throw things in the background of the animation that an NBA fan will be like, oh, wow. That's uh, that's really cool. And I'll give you one example if I'm wrong about this. But I think somebody noted to me that um, in the trailer for this last season, uh, in uh, in Giannis's like headgear, there's like a raptor or like a little bit of a like a like a like a like a some kind of something that signifies the raptors are in Giannis's head. You know, obviously based on what happened last year. So the point is that you guys go really really deep. It feels like when it comes to the research in this, can you can you just give me a sense of um, what it's like for you and Craig and and the rest of the team? Like, how do you go about uh, researching this so what we see on the screen has a lot of connections to reality? Sure. So, um, so there's two parts there that I think of. One is the um, what you referenced with the clog marks going across the head of Giannis, and that was be. And it's funny because that was the the story behind that is that we we write one of the things that makes it so stressful is that we're writing these things. We have to write these things well ahead of time. And then by the time the playoffs come, the storylines can change. And like we were writing this scene about Giannis being the new king of the East. And meanwhile, the Bucks and the, like the playoffs were happening and the Bucks Raptors was happening and we're like, what's going We don't know what to do. And so when the Raptors won, we had to show that in some way we acknowledge that. So we put the claw marks across his head and then we just kind of had that be permanently in his head on the on the on the helmet. I will say that it was really what's nice about when when you're we are thorough about all the details is that people start to see things and meanings and things sometimes when it's not even there. And I think like the idea that it, the, the Raptors are in Giannis's head is smarter than we are. Like that, I'm like, when when you said that, I'm like, yes, that's that's right. That's what we did. Um, and it was more that we just kept his helm the same. But uh, as far as as far as researching and all that stuff, you know, we Craig and I don't look at ourselves as basketball experts. We look at ourselves as like funny little storytellers. And our skill is to extract the funny and interesting from what's going on. And what's nice about being at Bleacher Report is there's tons of basketball experts and fans of every team, and we are obsessed with not getting things wrong. And so whenever we have a scene, if it's a Buck scene, if it's a, like if it's a Celtic scene, we talk to the Celtics experts. We say, hey, what player's right for this role? And we just we interview the people, the experts in our office on different topics. And like when we did, we did an episode about M, uh, called NBA 1K, which was about um, NBA 2K, the game, because we knew there's such a following. And so we brought into our office the people who we know play that game, and we just talked through every little 
little detail. So that way, when someone's watching it, they have the feeling like that it, it, it comes across as though whoever made this is an intense fan of whatever this, like we wanted to come off like we're super fans of whatever topic we're doing. And we do a ton of, re when we did the, yeah, like the Bucks scene with Jason Kidd, we just went deep into Bucks research and talked to Bucks people. And so uh, we always want to come across as authentic. I was like, so little things get always bother me. And I feel like little things can distract and make pull people out of things. So we try our best to keep it airtight. And then Craig, you could probably speak to the Easter eggs a little bit. Yeah, um, we have this process. We started evolving as we kept making this. And early on in the show, we would like occasionally throw, oh, wouldn't it be funny if like in the background, you'd see this little detail. And we saw that the commenters were like catching all of these details because you're no longer watching on TV. You're watching on the internet, on like YouTube, and there's a comment section. Um, and so if 1% of the audience catches a joke, they can broadcast it to everyone else. And pretty soon, you know, there was this feedback loop where we're like, okay, if they're catching these, let's put some more uh, jokes in there. And, you know, by like season four, we're putting like a million book titles in the bookcase behind Mike D'Antoni. And there's like commenters writing out every single book title and discussing them. And so, uh, we just kept at it and our process evolved such that, um, we would in every stage of the process add another like coat of paint of, of jokes to where we could. So in the writing and then in the audio and then in the storyboards and then, you know, with the background artists and uh, yeah, pretty soon it became so dense that I think a lot of people have to watch it several times to pick everything up. And, and that's fun for us to see everyone trying to scour our cartoons. It's like a highlights magazine or something. Hmm. Craig, how many people work on this in total from uh, from you two to all the extended staff? Um, well, it's so the the core production team is a staff of a little over 20 people, depending on our animation needs. Um, and um, they grew from it was originally just Adam and I doing everything. We had uh, Adam's friend would do the storyboards, but we would write it, voice it and animate it. And now um, each of those parts of the process um, are, uh, we have true professional animators and artists that can do those things. So everything's been upgraded. Um, we have, uh, storyboard artists, we have background artists, designers and animators and compositors, which, uh, the compositor will put all those things together and put special effects on it. Um, and we have, uh, several producers who are incredibly helpful and is, have just been a game changer in allowing us to level up the show and, and make it uh, what it is today. You know, Adam, one of the one of the reasons, obviously, that this um, caught on is because Bleacher Report, um, you know, it's a very, very big entity. They're going to put promotion and marketing behind it. And in a sense, you, you can... You can't make something good, but in a way, you could sort of make something a hit if it's at a big place. Now, all that said, one of the things that's interesting to me is that the sort of NBA, you know, you want to call it sort of uh, NBA Twitter or Twitterati or, you know, sort of the so the people who are really into sort of social media and sharing. And the NBA has a has a great fan base when it comes to that. They really adopted this. And, you know, sort of like got very excited when new new ones drop. They talk about it on Twitter, et cetera. Can you can you just from your perspective, Adam, give me a sense of, of when and why you think this became popular? Was was it a slow growth or was it something was it I don't know. Was it started to be shared by some influencers? What 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 made this really popular on NBA Twitter, which it clearly is today? Um, well, I think initially it was just a combination of a few things. It was the first thing you mentioned, which is Bleach Report has like crazy distribution on social. And then we made a like a piece, which was the first Game of Zones that just resonated. I mean, Craig and I didn't expect anything with the first episode. Uh, we, we submitted it to Bleacher Report. And then we like, I think Craig went to go play Frisbee or something when it went up. And then I was uh, doing something. And then all of a sudden, I, it was it just blew up like it went crazy viral. Um, and I really just think that was just a combination of distribution and, and, and the sticky content that was, you know, it was NBA and it was Game of Thrones and it was relatively well made and it was during NBA playoffs and Game of Thrones premiere. Um, and then, uh, as, and then, and to keep it relevant now, I would say that our episodes now don't go as viral. They are now just, they get bigger numbers, but that's just because there's a fan base and there's a, there's a programming plan and all those things. But what Craig and I think about and what we noticed is that the heart of the conversation 
was happening on Reddit and it was happening on, on the NBA subreddit. And so we spend a lot of time there and we get people like the way they're commenting works with it's where it's ranked, you know, uh, you really there's so many so many funny comments and you really get a good sense of like how NBA fans talk and what they think is funny like that to me is where you get we get a good sense of fan culture and so we kind of got fluent in that language and then when we write we can hear the voices of the echoes of the commenters in our head and get a feel for what they'll like and what they won't like so i think maintaining a connection to RMBA and that those voices as our fans when we think about making this is a big reason why I think it resonates across social. Craig, is there a particular uh, NBA player that you enjoy animating and voicing the most? I think I enjoy uh, voicing Kyle Lowry the most because I honestly, I, I mean like, well, his personality is already a more of a fun personality than I think most NBA players, but I also made his voice one of my like favorite British accents to do. So it's you know, sort of uh, like, what does he say? Like, no, he's my friend. You can't have Norman, or shush Norman. Um, and I, uh, I feel like it would be my natural British voice if I was a British person. Um, but I mean, there, there are a lot of characters we do at this point and um, it's, it's hard sometimes because we have to, uh, you know, we only have so many British accents we do, so we have an, another dimension that we can multiply those accents by, which is pitch shifting our voices lower. And um, I also do LeBron, and LeBron I always had trouble with because I just, it was, it was always one of these more generic accents I was doing. Um, but over time, I feel like his character has become like, this very complicated character in our show because we we feature him more than any other character, um, and I I think he's like been the most dynamic, um, and he definitely in this season continues in that that character arc, whatever it is that we've been improvising as we go along. So that's been a lot of fun too. I'll ask you, Adam, in a second for yours. Craig, have have you ever heard from Kyle Lowry, or LeBron James on these? Um, not heard from. No, I haven't heard from LeBron James. I do know that the Raptors um, are, as a team, have watched their their Demar trade episode, and uh, um, it was Danny Green. I think had mentioned on his podcast that he had showed it to Norman Fowl, and Norman Powell's cracking up because, like, I, I think that like we uh, captured something about their locker room chemistry that uh, might have rung a little too true for some of them. Um, I, we had heard through the grapevine that. Uh, the Raptors staff actually thought that we had someone on the inside, like listening to what was going on. Um, and that is not true. That's uh, that's, I live in Toronto. So that is equally hilarious for me. Um, Adam, um, what about you? Are there uh, particular um, NBA players that you voice that you, that you just, you really love doing? Uh, I feel like a connection now to James Harden to the point where I expect him to talk like, Oberin when he's interviewed at the NBA games, <laughs> I expect him to like, oh, you know, it was a great game. I saw many ducks, and so I decided to draw fouls, you know, and things like that. I expect him to talk like that. And uh, and so there's that. I also, I like any character with a Eastern European accent because I find that there's just the comedic timing with that accent is always funny. So it's like, uh, it's uh, like, you know, it's like uh, so many wins, you know, we're going to get so many wins. But uh, in, the, in the deeper version of that, which is Vladi Divox is fun, which is uh, foxes are smart. I, I, I drafted the other fox. I thought he was a fox. And uh, and then there's also one. Oh, also Thoros of Mir which is uh, Dame Lillard's character, which is like, Thoros of Mare. Oh, yeah. We're the Brotherhood with one banner now. So uh, those are those are some of the uh, the characters that, that I like. I love that. Um, the uh, um, Have you, I guess, ever heard from uh, Game of Thrones people, Adam? Either uh, actors, creators, uh, NBA fans who are part of the Game of Thrones universe who cross over? Uh, no, just their lawyers. No, I'm just kidding. They never came. I'm just kidding. Um, <laughs> that was my next question. No, no we've they've never we've never heard from the lawyers. Thank crossing our fingers. Uh, but uh, we haven't really heard from anyone on Game of Thrones. I on the first episode we did, I think their official Twitter tweeted it out. But um, 
I haven't heard from any of the actors. I don't know how much crossover there is between Game of Thrones and the NBA. Although I know what's her name was at the uh, that, uh, that game Clark. between the Rockets and the they so occasionally they That's show right. up in NBA games. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, uh, Daenerys. Yeah, was yeah. The, the actress who plays her was that uh, was at that game. I remember that. That's right because yeah. they uh, the NBA made a pretty good uh, uh, ruckus about that, which was pretty cool. Yeah, yeah, uh, <laughs> yeah. So that's good. There you go. All right, there's one crossover. Yeah. Uh, uh, it's Emily Clark, Amelia Clark. Amelia Clark, so right? Too early yeah, in the yeah, yeah. For me, yeah. I know. It's just, just I, I was trying to think of an Eastern European country like Romania. It was too early in the morning for my brain to work as well. Yeah. Um, Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda, you never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. All right, a, a couple more here. Um, we'll go back to you, Craig. Has um, and, and maybe you finished this stuff beforehand, but um, uh, every guest um, that I've had on this podcast, certainly in the last seven weeks, obviously their lives have been dramatically impacted by COVID nineteen. And I wonder if for you, Craig, did the um, completion of this series was it impacted by this? Because just at a very base minimum, you know, you can't go into an office to use whatever um editing equipment technology you know that that probably is housed at bleacher or wherever you guys work out of you're essentially you know wfh you're working from home and you got to figure it out so has COVID impacted uh the production of this or was it done prior to uh prior to march 1st let's say yeah uh it has impacted the production of this but we're still on schedule as adam was saying um, it was really interesting, though, as things were starting to grow, where we work out of Manhattan, uh, which is obviously like the hottest hotspot in the U.S., if not the world. Um, and uh, it, you know, it was in March and it was there was a week where we had heard rumors that the office was going to close down. Um, and it seemed like everything was starting to shut down. Schools were starting to shut down. And so I. Um, I had to do some audio work for the final episode, um, but Adam was able to work from home. Um, and then out of nowhere, the NBA, you know, was suspended. And that next day, um, I was planning on going in to finish recording um, all of my lines for uh, the last scene, which I had to do in the office because we have a, a soundproof booth there. And um, they shut down our office and they said no one's allowed to go in there everyone has to stay at home and I um basically walked to work that day it took me like an hour and I um I didn't want to take the subway and I'm like holding my breath as I'm walking past people I didn't I mean at this point I'm thinking like anyone could have it I, I don't know and uh I came into the office and I just like recorded every single line of the last episode because we had just written the script and um saved it all on, you know, the, the, the Dropbox. And then I bolted and, oh, I, well, I threw all of the recording equipment I could into a duffel bag. And I just like took a cab home because I couldn't carry it. And then just hoped that I didn't have to re-record anything and got super lucky that, uh, it all, all the takes worked and I was able to stitch all the audio together from home. Um, but that was a, uh, a scary moment. Uh, but once we crossed that, you know, like it was smooth sailing because because everything else was easier, easier to do remote. And then on a personal note, Adam, I'll take just you. What's it been like for you? You're in, uh, as Craig said, you guys, I think, are both in Man- You're in Manhattan as well, Adam? I'm in Hoboken now. So I you're was in Hoboken. Manhattan. Okay, yeah. so you're, Close you're outside of that. Yeah, so, um, I mean, again, we have listeners sort of from all over the country and Canada as well. Um, what has your experience been like uh, being, you know, sort of at the edge of the epicenter? Yeah, I mean, it's. I worry most. Our our father's a physician, and so he's at the hospital. You know, he's dealing with the PPE issues, and so you know, for us, what we try to focus on 
is just making sure that, you know, everyone, life kind of has changed for everyone and it kind of sucks. And like, we're just like, let's just give them a really good cartoon. I know that sounds like stupid, maybe silly, but like, that's what we can do. Like what we can do besides, you know, besides any ways that we can donate and help is we're thinking, let's just make this good so that people can have, because we're not getting a lot of content, new content right now. It's a lot of stuff shot from home and whatever, you know, people, one thing is that you can make is animation, but animation takes a long time. So we're fortunate enough to be one of the few things that can actually maintain its schedule and, 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 and come out like normal. And so hopefully, you know, this cartoon can give people something that's, uh, that's fun and feels new, um, you know, amidst, uh, these crazy times. But for, for me, this is, I think like everyone, it's, it's scary and you just try to do the best, you know, I like for me, I, living in an apartment building, every time I go to take out the trash or, um, go to get a package, you know, I put on a mask just to walk into my own hallway. So, uh, so there's a lot of weird new things happening, but hopefully, uh, Game of Zones can provide one little, a few minutes of uh, escapism. And then, uh, Craig, we'll end with this. What is, um, what's next for you guys? Uh, if you're indeed working together, uh, the the BR series will end, and then obviously, I'm sure you guys want to move on and do new projects. What, uh, where do you think your sort of professional path will head next? Um, yeah, well, I think the first thing we're going to do is take a short vacation i guess we're not going to go very far we'll stay in our apartments um but um yeah we we adam and i as adam was saying earlier you know we've we've made a lot of medieval basketball jokes um and uh we've also just you know we've been doing sports cartoons for a real time we we were uh doing a couple seasons of the champions uh a soccer show and uh you know before that we had other shows like sports gods and things like that and uh, I think we're, we, we want to try just something outside of sports, um, co- like covering topics that, you know, don't uh, expire in a few months or a few weeks, depending on what the, you know, latest storyline is in the NBA or the NFL or Champions League. Um, we, we really like um, history and we like philosophy and we like science and politics and um you know, we'd love to be able to write stuff that comments on current events. Uh, and and um, I think that, you know, we're going to just kind of start putting banging our heads together and thinking about uh, what kind of show or thing we may, project we may want to get involved in that uh, allows us to explore those interests. And I, I don't know, Adam, if, uh, if there's anything you would want to add to that. Yeah, I would just say that, uh, like, things about just society and people. And, and I think also... Um, like Craig said, the challenge with sports is like, you know, and how long animation takes is that you write it, you know, you write a joke and the joke is about how this player sucks and then that player starts playing well and your joke's ruined and you put all this time into it. And so that doesn't happen with original characters. So I think doing something with original characters um, rather than having to rely on our main characters being actual people who can change and who have feelings and who can do things that like maybe they do something illegal and then you there you can't put them in your cartoon you know which has happened and so uh so you know that's always been a challenge so i think i'd love to do something where the voices that we love to do are are for our own characters and not necessarily uh james harden adam and craig malamut are the creators of uh the fantastic br franchise game of zones that final season drops april 30th in what br is billing as an epic four-part finale uh, guys, I really appreciate it. Again, as someone who lives in Toronto, I could not get enough of the Kyle DeMar storyline. So great. I still laugh about it, basically, even, uh, I'll be laughing about it 10 years from now. Um, you guys have created a really, like, uh, a pretty magical, uh, universe and, um, uh, and congratulations on that. And I wish you guys nothing but the best of luck as you, uh, as you head forward. Thanks so much for joining me today on the Sports Media Podcast and, and best of luck with the final season. Thank you, and thanks for having us. Yeah, we really appreciate it. Thanks, Richard. It was a lot of fun. Yeah. All right, my thanks to the Malamutes for an interesting conversation, and, of course, to Chad Finn. If um, if you are interested in this kind of content, uh, head through the archive page where you'll see our last five or six episodes. John Oran was, uh, as I mentioned uh, before, our previous guest talked about the NFL draft, at least day one, the last dance, and uh, 
and some other sports media matters. Prior to that, Sean McDonough of ESPN discussing his time on Monday Night Football. Kalen Kaler and Joe Neeson, former Sports Illustrated workers, talking about uh, their experiences uh, leaving SI the Maven and uh, where they hope to be heading forward. Chico Harlan, the Rome Bureau Chief of the Washington Post, what is it like to cover the coronavirus in Italy, which at one time was the center of the universe for this awful virus? And prior to that, Scott Van Pelt of ESPN, who talked about uh, putting on Sports Center during the time of COVID-19. Head to the archives. Uh, hopefully, you'll see some stuff that you're interested in. And please, uh, if you like this, leave us a five-star review and, uh, and a comment on the podcast. That's how it continues. I want to thank everybody at Cadence 13 for their hard work during this. Chris Corcoran, Spencer Brown, John McDermott, and, of course, uh, Sean and Patrick. This is Richard Deitch. We'll see you again on the Sports Media Podcast. I'm Mark Chapman. Welcome to the Planet Premier League podcast. Each week, Cesc Fabregas, Nader Manua and myself talk all things Premier League. As a player, you don't have time to talk. No. You don't have time to make a plan. You just need to deal with wave after wave after wave. We watched Coach Carter and he said, oh, afterwards, the game's just about doing this for your teammates. And I remember looking around halfway through the film and half the squad was asleep. <laughs> Planet Premier League. Listen wherever you get your podcasts.